Hi everybody, before we start today's episode, can I just take a little bit of time to ask you one small favour? If you like the podcast, can you rate and review it on Apple Podcasts for me please? Can you also send it to one other person that you know? Someone that you like, someone that you love, someone that you're friends with, someone that you're enemy with, someone that you're completely indifferent to, but you know they need just a little bit more joy. Because that's what we do. Each week we try to give you a little bit more joy. And speaking of joy... Let's have today's Joyful No Song. You and I are nobody else. Feeling, feeling I never feel. The way you got me on this Hey, Don't you keep it up to yourself. Uh, why don't you take it? Feel like for the first time I am not fake. Fingers on my buttons and now you play Master of anticipation Don't you keep it all to yourself Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of The Front Room For those of you that don't know, The Front Room is for best The Front Room is a place where we recommend different forms of media whether that be social media or traditional media that will bring you a little bit more joy. I need to start off at the back and apologise because hay fever has come and it's taking my voice. So at times on this podcast, you'll hear me breathing a little bit like, <laughs> I'm really sorry, I can't help it. Um, today, though, you don't just have to listen to me breathe, breathe. Breathe. <laughs> you don't just have to listen to me do my heavy breathing like some dirty old man. I, you know what? Let's be truthful, yeah? Let's be truthful. It's not just because of hay fever. It's also because I'm training again properly and I'm really unfit. And so even after doing the <laughs> workouts today, it'll be so long to recover. I like, I've never been in this condition before. But you know what? April the 12th is coming. I'm going to get tight. I'm going to get right. I'm going to get right enough to get in the gym. So when I'm in there, I don't have to feel awkward because, you know, it's a gay space. And we have loads of social pressure. But that's just me on with the day show. So today we have a new guest on the show. His name is Joris. You may know him as Joris Explains or The Nerd Without a Cause. I know some of you just go on his Instagram and just look at his pictures and see what I message him because he looks hot in his underwear. All power to you. Do what you need to do. This is a pandemic. Slide into the DMs. I don't know if the DMs are open. I don't know if the DMs are closed. That's his business. So... We have Yoris today and we're going to do a full program with Yoris. So we're going to be asking him to pick his diva, to tell us who he's ratchet and the righteous of this week are. We're also going to get into what he does on social media and a little bit of an introduction of how he works on the different platforms that he's on. Because not only is he on YouTube, he's also on Instagram, but most importantly, he's on TikTok. So that's a different social platform than the other guests I've had on previously before. Now, Obviously, we are in a pandemic, so there's certain things that I need to warn you first about. Like, I'm really sorry, at sometimes the sound quality may get a little bit tinny and a little bit patchy, but just because of the nature of how we're recording at the moment, I'm trying my best. I really am, yeah? Also, can I just ask a little favour, yeah? 
if you have a specific song that you would like me to murder on the opening <laughs> karaoke inspired joyful noise song slide into the dms pick a joyful noise song if i know it if i remember it if i can learn it if i can butcher it in a nicest possible way or if i can butcher it in a way that means that you won't just switch off the podcast automatically we'll add it into the program so when we come back we're gonna have yoris the nerd without calls or no yoris explains with us in the studio Peace and love, people. I'll see you on the flip side. All right. So my name is Joris Lechen. And what I do is already a question that's going to take us on a tangent. I never give straight answers. I'm going to be annoying as fuck. Um, I am or was a model. I mean, up until last year, modeling was my main source of income. But that's changed both because of the pandemic and also because I think I'd like reached the, the sell-by date for the, 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 the kind of like market that I was in as a model. And I am lucky enough, I am a man. Uh, so that means that I could potentially still continue modeling for quite a few years. But I am kind of like the in-between, the weird in-between. Uh, I'm not young looking anymore, but I don't look like, a daddy any yet so it's like I'm in this in between I don't look either old enough or young enough so yeah there's there's a bit of that so I was uh yeah so modeling is not really what I do at the moment uh which is good because I was looking for a way out anyway uh even though like you know I'm still open to things <laughs> uh but yeah <laughs> like if I get a phone call uh, for a job of course I'm gonna take it but um, what I do now is, uh, well, I'm a trainer on race, um, mostly race and bias and um, privilege and diversity and this kind of stuff. I, I still struggle to really define or explain the title. Um, I work with, with someone you've had on your podcast with Dominic Jackson Cole. Um, he's the one who gave me the opportunity and he's got all the academic knowledge and, you know, like, yeah, the knowledge. And I bring in my lived experience as a person of color, as also a neurodivergent person. Um, so, yeah, I think we, we're like a, we work together um, quite well because we both have our different perspectives to bring into the, into the mix. The, I, have, so I, I, I tell people that they're racist for a living, basically. I have images of you two as like the tag team wrestlers on the racist, like just <laughs> go up with like taking our racism into two different contexts. Yeah. yeah. Well, sometimes I feel like we, we take on the roles of the, there's the good cop and bad cop, you know, that, that, uh, that trope thing, but like he would be more the bad cop and I'm the good cop who's like reassuring the, the, the participants in our training, you know, and I'll tell them, you know, it's okay, it's fine. This is a safe space, you know, we, it's not about pointing fingers. And I find myself doing that even more than he does, um, which is, you know, you, it might be surprising because I'm, I'm the black guy, but you know, I'm the one who's like, it's okay, it's okay. I don't hate you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't find it surprising. I find that that is actually what I would expect. 
because yeah. they can he can say things to the nth degree and because of how racism as a structure works no one's going to hold the bias against him whereas with you there's already a thing where you, the community and that you have to build a friendship to get over that their initial apprehension and their own guilt because once they absolutely once start talking, most of the people in that room are going to feel a little bit guilty because i've heard you speak <laughs> well and the thing is no matter what i say and no matter with what tone i say it and i can have the biggest smile on my face i'm always going to be perceived as the angry black man and that's also already like you know sometimes i get some reactions from my content the, the, what i post on on instagram or on tiktok and people really like they feel threatened by what I have to say, even if I say it with a smile on my face, but from the mere fact that I am a black person talking about race and, and getting, getting people to like question their involvement. And so like the majority of the reactions is, is overwhelmingly positive and I have to make that clear, but there is always, there's always going to be a fringe of the population who are going to perceive what I say as as you know aggressive or threatening and you know it, it's not rooted in, in any reality so i have to make extra efforts to eat to be even more calm and like even more composed and make sure i have a smile on when i talk about difficult topics and now that's 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 my job yeah. so that's emotional labor as well and sometimes it's unfair yeah so cool do you use pronouns um, yes, so I am he, him. Okay, so my pop question for this part is, name your diva. So name the female icon as a gay man. I have many different divas. I like to find out who, who the guest is, mm -hmm. who, which, which will be yours and why. So that question was tricky, like all of them, because like I always find myself kind of like outside of, of what I know is expected of me to answer. Uh, because like I have, I have like a laser focused uh, interests, like th this changes every week almost. So like I can be listening to the same one artist nonstop for three weeks and then I'll move on. And then, so like that would be completely irrelevant. And also there's the fact that, you know, I have like different cultural backgrounds. So I couldn't pick one of those, like from the, the French Caribbean because like there would be no conversation about it. So the diva that I've picked for today is Nelly Furtado. Hey. Because I do actually, I, listen, like, I am in the middle of like a huge Nelly Furtado thing. So that's like, I listen to all of her albums, which like, may sound weird but i have this thing i uh i find it really difficult to be into something if everybody else is into it at the time so it always takes me and it's not like i'm not like snob and be like oh yeah it's popular so i'm so much better than that because i will get to it eventually but you just need to give me a few years i'm like okay i see i can sort of see that everybody's into it now i don't really get it but give me a few years and i will so like, yeah, so Nelly Furtado is at the moment uh, the one that I'm thinking about and, and, it's, and I find it also interesting to bring the, the, the race question into it because like if you look at um, her first video clips, she is kind of like, because like she's white, but then if you look at her lyrics, she doesn't actually identify as white, which, which is understandable because where she grew up, 
uh, well, she has a Portuguese background and she's, her skin is darker and you could imagine that she probably passes as a, a native in, in Canada, where she's from. And, and in her lyrics, she talks about, you know, um, her face being uh, whitened for the magazines and, and shove away my ethnicity. So she, and so there's a big part of, you know, she embraces a culture that is not considered as white, but that's interesting because at the end of the day, she's white and she's probably not going to experience the racism of people of color in a certain sense. But at the same time, she, she is of a different culture. And, and so I find this, this very interesting because, you know, it's not clear cut, like, oh, you're white, you're black, you don't know what racism is, you do. And so this is also why, why I picked her. Nelly Furtado is a, one of the group of women that I call the Golden Girl era. So there was mm -hmm. a time where whether you were black, you were white, you were anything else, there was a certain skin tone that everybody seemed to have there. Yeah. J-Lo, Nelly Furtado, um, Shakira, Ooh. all the way through. They, they, one after the other, Christina Milian. Over in the UK, we had Miss Dynamite. So every visually you, they were ethnically ambiguous so then and the haircut was the same as well right like the straight, straight hair like the, the fringe like uh, cut yeah made it yeah, that's... for them to mix genres of music and be identifiable to everybody but mainly identifiable to white people so it made them easier to commercially sell them but at the same time each one of those artists in a different way once they reached a point of success, you saw them try, trying to rebel against what they already knew was a system that was whitewashing them. Nelly Furtado, mm -hmm. when she's a race and stuff, is after she's had a kid, and it's after she's done the loose album with Timberland, which is really R&B. You have Jennifer Lopez then making Spanish albums and being more ethnic than she was in the beginning, even though she, she started off being trying to be the Bronx girl, which was more black ethnic than latino ethnic yeah and then you have a miss dynamite who started making rb and bashment albums and stuck went back to doing more underground stuff as well yeah beyonce now with doing all the black is king up so over the period of yeah, time she suddenly remembered that she was black i mean no the, the world remembered that she was black <laughs> well for nelly Furtado, it's Slightly different though, sorry I'm gonna be like a nerd, but uh, in her case, because her first album, uh, One Nelly, with her hits like I'm like, a, I'm like a Bird and Turn Off the Light, then she took a turn with her second album, which completely bombed, and that's also why I loved it. <laughs> uh, but her second album, which is named Folklore, so you can already yeah. see that, you know, it's already gonna be like ethnic um, themed. And so she took a turn, like she went all in with her, her Portuguese heritage and like with, with more exotic sounding, like going away from the North American kind of thing. And, and it didn't work, but at the same time, it's by far her most authentic, I find authentic and also consistent body of work. And then, and then there was the Timberland thing, which is really interesting. It's a really great example of reinvention because, I mean, if you look at her beginnings, she, or, she always positioned herself as sort of like white R&B, kind of like R&B edgy kind of, and then, then she went with folklore. So that was much more like 
traditional thing. And then she went all in back to the R&B with, with Timberland, um, which is, sounds weird because it sounds so different from everything else that she's done before and after. But it kind of makes sense if you look at it from the perspective of that she always considered herself as kind of urban. And I, I hate all of those terms, ethnic, urban. So that's, I put all, all of them in quotation marks, but, but you know what I mean. Okay. Uh, cool. And I went on a tangent. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was very interesting. Uh, the, the golden era of, yeah, that, that's so true. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, you're right. So that was the time when I was doing semiotics at university. So I tended to like spend loads of time going over visual language and videos and just like, restudying and trying to find similarities on how people sold stuff. Because I thought I was going to be in advertising, but that didn't work. Um, what is your, your joyful noise song during lockdown? So, what song makes you happy? What song gets you singing? What song has it been before lockdown? It could be anything from any era. Yeah, so this one was tricky as well because it's like, yeah, I have one song today, like this specific hour, and then in an hour's time, I'll have another song in my head, and it's like, but I picked one that I found quite, quite funny because, um, because basically if I play it loud, like I play, I usually play music, then um, I'm like, shit, the neighbors are gonna call the police. And you're about to, to find out why. It's, it's, the, um, it's, it's called Uckers and it's by Shy Girl. Have you heard of it? Cause I think, I think it's one of those TikTok trends. So it became big on TikTok. Yeah. And then, but uh, you might've heard it if I play it. Yeah, go on. Um, yeah, I've, I've got it now. I'm going to play a few seconds and, and you also get why I, I, I'm worried that they might call the cops. So yeah, it's basically a sample of, uh, I think it's from uh, uh, what's that? Psychos. Um, yeah, that. But anyway, yeah. So that uh, and but the, the beat, the beat kills. I, like I love it, but but it's like I can't really vibe to it as much as I would like to because like, what are my neighbors gonna think is happening in my house? See, I was, see, I was thought that was gonna go in a completely different direction when you said I can't play it loud and I call what my neighbors are gonna think. So that. Yeah. Perfectly fine. Play it loud, like I don't. Know. <laughs> well, yeah, but like I don't want them to worry about. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not assaulting any women. There's no. There's no risk of of the female domestic abuse in in this household. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, the person. Okay. So we had LGBTQ plus history month. Yeah. So I was asking loads of people if there was a person on the spectrum, whether. It, that they would like other people to find out more information about, or mm -hmm. it will be a good example as a starting off point in, so that, because I just find that I don't know a lot of my queer history. So as, if other people can suggest people to look at, then I'm all good for it. So who would you pick as someone to look at, find out, find out about their life? About? Well, I didn't realize that it had something to do with history. So I've, I've picked someone who's like very contemporary and, and a YouTuber actually. So yeah, sorry if you were expecting like a historical figure. 
Um, nice. I fun. guess I didn't. Yeah. Um, Lady Phil. Pardon? Oma picks Lady Phil. So he was yeah. not the history either. So yeah, uh, well, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, my, my pick is Cat Black. And she is an American YouTuber. She is black. And um, she is also a trans woman. And, and the reason why I want people to know about her more is that she's one of the... She's been on YouTube for 15 years. Yeah, so like she began when YouTube was not even a thing yet. And she was, she was a teenager. Um, she hadn't, I don't know if she had transitioned. I don't, I, I think she already identified as a trans woman. So I guess that's not relevant whether she had transitioned or not. Um, but um, yeah, and, and why she's relevant now is because well, I can, she's very interesting because she, uh, she always had a very, very nuanced, nuanced take on things. And, and obviously she can talk about racism, about, about transphobia, about politics in general. But what is very interesting is that she, she has a big platform, but her platform is nowhere near as big as that of other YouTubers who would be, who are on her lane, in her lane as well, such as other trans women YouTubers like, like ContraPoint, for instance, which I absolutely adore. Um, but yeah, Cat Black, for some reason, even though she's been there way before any of the leftist YouTubers that, that we know now, she's, she's, been, she's been around and, and for some reason, even though she says exactly the same thing as more su successful YouTubers, her platform is not growing as much. And, and I find it interesting because that's definitely something that I can relate to is the minute you're a person of color, people will tend to tune out. I mean, by people, I mean, I mean people who are not of color. So white people will tend to tune out, even if what you're saying is something they would completely agree with. So as a creator of color, I know that I have to fight this like you know first second of i have to catch attention and i have to immediately connect with the audience and it's it's a challenge that white youtubers don't have don't don't face because it's like the the people the audience end up, ends up completely agreeing with whatever you might have to say but they will only agree with it when they see it said by their favorite white youtubers or favorite white tiktokers and and they won't even know that you said it first because, because you know, they would have moved on by the time like they see a, a dark face and they're like, okay, well, he's gonna talk about something that I don't relate to and they would have already moved past you. And that's something that I can definitely relate to. And so this is why I picked Cat Black. And um, also there's another more personal reason is something that she once said and, and that I could completely, that, that I could completely relate with. Um, she, she, there's this video where she talks about the fact that when she walks into a space, um, like a bar or something, she gets, um, she, she gets loads of positive attention and she even gets people who are like, you know, outwardly supportive of her presence in that space. And they would go like, yes, queen and stuff like that. But then, but then she finds out, she later realizes that they might be like, you know, they might be sort of attracted to her, but they don't know what to do with that attraction. And it 
rarely translate into actual concrete meaningful interaction and and i was like i'm not a, a trans person but my blackness with my blackness i could definitely relate to that and you know feeling that i've, I've had people being very loudly supportive of me and like giving me compliments and stuff but it's like but then the, when you're like oh he's into me that's interesting and then you're like okay well and then nothing happens nothing. and then that person who was so so like supportive of you they end up like they they go home with 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 a white person and you're like okay well what was that about then yeah was it this is the moment that you, so this is the thing right one, I know the YouTuber that you're talking about. So for people that are listening, Cat Black is spelled with a K-A-T and it's B-L-A-Q-U-E, if I remember yeah. right. Yeah. yeah exactly. I know her from, because I got into her because she also talks about um, consent and she talks about kink shaming and she talks about what it's like to be someone that were, is in the BDSM community. Yeah, yeah, I forgot to mention that, but yeah, she's yeah. there. So, that's how I know her because when she, the same example that you gave is one of the videos where I started looking at her work as well. Because as someone that is in a kink space, you have to balance between people fetishizing you for how you look, yeah, and fetishizing you for what you represent. And Absolutely. Being aware that you as an individual have wants and desires yourself and whether you can actually get to a place where the two things can coalesce equally in the same space. And unfortunately, that rarely ever happens. Yeah, and when you are in, and it's not even when you're in a kink space, when you are a black person that walks into a LGBTQ space in general, these spaces are not necessarily made by us for us and the people that go there don't necessarily expect us to be in those spaces. It's almost yeah. like the cowboy movies where everybody's in the saloon and the guy comes into the bar and everybody turns <laughs> and looks at you. Everybody in that bar knows that something is about to go down, uh, yeah, and it's not yeah. a good thing. If it's a musical, then someone gets on stage and starts singing and everybody's singing and dancing and they're happy. But most of the time, the gets in the bar, is going to shoot or kill someone. So that's the kind of energy that you get as a black person walking into gay spaces a lot of time. So yeah. I completely understand where you're coming from. Yeah, it's like navigating between, between being fetishized and like, and the thing is, you can never tell. So you end up being paranoid, you end up, because like sometimes, like you never know if the person is talking to you because they're signaling to themselves that they're not racist, but it's like, okay, well, are we gonna fuck then? And like, you find out that most of the time that doesn't, it, nothing comes out of it, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, they're so nice and they're so supportive and all that. And they, they might, they actually flirtatious sometimes, but then, but then you realize that like you don't score that you have a desire to was a person of a different ethnicity is not the same as being able to allow yourself to see that person as a full complete human being and actually interact yeah. with in relationship level so this is a problem that most of us have we're like we're pretty they say that we're pretty to look at and they want a conversation and then also you find within 10 minutes of that conversation 
you'll find the first black stereotypal trope in their in their or their ebonic speaks comes out straight away, and then it's for them that the fact that you don't need you don't necessarily communicate in the way that they've been told that black people speak big, and yeah. then that shuts down the conversation as well. So yeah, I completely understand where you're coming. Yeah, it's like yeah, because like I'm not. I'm not kinky. I'm very vanilla. I, yeah, I'm not everyone's everyone's cup of tea. But then, yeah, you find out that like after a few exchange of words, you're like, yeah, no, I don't think I'm the kind of guy that you're looking for that you expect me to be. But at the same time, you know, like you don't really know how to say it. It's like, yeah, it's it's a whole thing. If, if you're a person of color and you happen to not fit. The stereo- I mean, even if you do fit the stereotype, that's still not fair on you to have to like deal with with being fetishized. But if you fall outside of it, it's even more because you're like, yeah, it's 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 difficult. Okay, so getting up to date with a recent effect. So I have a section called the Ratchet and the Righteous. Yeah. So every day I'm I have it on, I like blame people that I've been ratchet to towards either something I can't stand or annoy and then someone that's been righteous as in someone that is doing something that I completely love at the moment. So so um, my ratchet this week would have been the KFC Walkers commercial and the people complaining about it. And then uh-huh. it would have been Naomi Osaka for winning the Australian Open. Yeah. Right, yeah. I really struggled with that one actually because I was like, yeah, I, I I really struggle. So I'm, I'm not super happy with my uh, my righteous, but I'll, I'll give you it anyway. But uh, can you tell me a bit more about the KFC thing? Like just so the KFC, off the head if you want, but, KFC have uh, KFC and Walker's Crisps have released a like two packets of flavors of crisps that are based on KFC um, chicken. Yeah. So in this advert for these crisps, every single person other than Gary Lineker is black. All right. Oh, I can see. I can already see the backlash and people going mad. The same as with Tesco's and Sainsbury's and yeah. So there was two black lashes. There was one. There was one with all these white people saying, "How come you've done a commercial and it's only black people?" And then there was black people saying. Well, this is racial using a racial trope to sell your food because not every black person because it's chicken and all oh, right. Oh wow, yeah, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's like they can't win, but at the same time, it's it's you know it's like capitalist kind of like companies and stuff. I'm like I'm not gonna cry for them, uh, but yeah. The reason why I'm saying. The reason why I put them in the ratchet is not for the people that are complaining, it's for the fact that this company has had a project, KFC, for hundreds of years nearly, right? So why do you not know the connotations and the racist tropes that go with your brand? You should be aware of how your brand affects the populace and the positive and negative connotations that some images related to your brands might have. So if you know that, then when you were doing the synopsis for your advert, surely you would have said, this is a multicultural advert. Like, we want people of all different economies. We do not want it to be based on stereotypes of urbanism. We do not want it to... And then that would have been fine. But you didn't do that because you don't care. Yeah? And at the end of the mm-hmm. day, 
know that the product is going to sell whether there's a backlash or not and frankly you're probably going to profit more from this kind of backlash because everybody's ex upset yeah so you haven't offended anybody because you offended everybody it's very simple but then how do you navigate if if your target audience is black people how can you convey that without getting the backlash if your target audience is black people, yeah, then you can have black people in the scene, but the fact that they didn't have any white people whatsoever specifically, you're already setting mm -hmm. yourself up because you you're not do you're not doing yourself justice by saying that we've got loads of black actors work in this commercial. Look at us hiring black people because we know that sells to black people. If you if you allow it to be taken out of that scope, one person. You're trying to say that these black people don't have any white friends. Like, you know, <laughs> what happened to the Chinese or Indian people that live in these countries? Like, for, where are they? Yeah. So, was it a British advert? It was a British. Or American? Oh, it was a British advert. British. Yeah. So, it makes even less sense that there would only be black people. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. It's a giant fail on their part and not unnecessarily the, the people that are angry because th that's just being fueled by something completely different but you knew like if you're aware of the social climate at the moment you must be and you and you know understand what your brand signifies to other people and it's under your responsibility to engage a pacific market so that they that it can't be used against them and it can't be used against you true that's, that's yeah they they failed in in that sense yeah regardless of like whether they're right or wrong and stuff but yeah if if it's received that way by the public then therefore i guess well my my ratchet of the week is it's a different one but it's also kind of like related but um i picked sia and sia and her film music and and it actually relates to race in in different in in various ways so first of all I, I am neurodivergent and I am on the autistic spectrum. So her portrayal of, of autism affects me and kind of like undoes all of the work that I in a certain way have been doing, but like what the autistic community have been doing to fight the stigma and, and, and fight for a more accurate representation of, of what, it, it, what is autism. Uh, so she she just like barged in and completely ruined all of that. And on top of that, she she showed like the prone restraint, and which is something that people have died from. Um, a completely dangerous and horrible way of dealing with 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 someone having a meltdown. Um, so like and and it's like yeah, it's the same as you know the way that, that the police handled uh, black people and like it kills people so it is extremely dangerous and it's terrible and like in in the film she has one of the characters say i'm crushing you with my love uh to justify this prone restraint I, thing i need to say this out loud which is I, I'm sorry, I didn't hear. I've just realised that this is probably going to go out as um, audio first, and you can't actually see my eyes. So when he said that, I was I rolled my eyes so hard Bro, that yeah. I didn't come back into this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and also when you're looking at when we're talking about this form of restraint, you have to understand that most of these forms of restraint are not just used on Norwegian vagrant people. They use on everyday folks, where they yeah, and it, people. <laughs> every, when I say everyday folk, we mean black people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's and this is not a US only problem. This is a UK problem as well because these are the kind of restraint and holes that have left to people in the UK dying in police custody. Yeah? So it's not a small thing that you can just pass off as something that, that's a symbol of love and understanding because it's really, really not. Yeah. yeah. And so the way it relates to race, the two ways I've identified it relates to race is, is the first one is she participates in Black Erasure because in her defense of, you know, when there started to be a backlash and people started to say, like, this is not a good representation. Uh, she said, oh, but this character uh, played by Maddie Ziegler, um, this by uh, someone who's neurotypical, so not on the autistic spectrum. That's another issue with representation. Um, but she says, oh, no, that character is actually based off on someone that I, that I know in real life. And that person turns out to be a black athlete, a black male athlete. So she thought she was like trying to help herself with that. And it, it makes it worse because she took a real black person and she portrays, and she, she portrays him as a white girl. So she, she, on top of everything that she did, she erased the, the blackness of the character that she claims to have been inspired by. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is a phenomenon that I call um, uh, psychological, um, wait, I forgot the term that I came up with. Colonization, yes, like psychological, psychological colonization. Now you can cut it straight when you do the edit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so cycle and, and it's like it's basically Sia with her approach to autism and to talking about a community that she's not a part of talking about an experience that she's not a part of she participates in she applied a colonizer mindset to neurodivergence because she came in as someone who comes from, you know, the norm, the the, the the majority so what is considered typical and she imposed her view of another group of people that she is not part of she didn't give them a platform she spoke for them and from her perspective and she did a lot of damage and and that's and that's the same phenomenon that happens with colonization you have like white people encountering a, a culture that's completely different from them and they automatically assume that culture to be lesser than instead of like you know seeing how you know we can be different and instead of seeing the value in that difference there's this assumption that you know they are inferior they don't know how to do agriculture they don't know how to structure their society so that's what happened with with actual colonization but that's exactly the same thing that happens with neurotypical like Sia who use their power and their platform to completely belittle and patronize and, and infantilize a whole community of actual people, adults with, you know, with a voice and affects and all that. So, so yeah. 
<laughs> so that was uh, that was my right shirt of the week and the righteous I really struggled with that but I was like mm, what does it say about my life if I can't find anything positive or any like positive thing to highlight so I felt really bad thank you you've really made me feel like a negative depressed person which but, I'm not no, I, your lens is excuse <laughs> to be hunting down the bullshit in life don't worry about it right. some people are <laughs> Sometimes the glass half full. Do you know why I actually? Uh, do you know why I actually have certain sections? So the reason why I have like ratchet and righteous and that um, the joyful noise song is because originally this podcast was going to be called Black Man on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. The world is so depressing at a time, and then I thought, you know what? I actually need to be make sure that I'm not just coming on it here every week and just depressing everybody that listens to it. That I'm also somehow trying to find the light and the joy and remembering stuff that actually makes me feel alive and makes me feel joyful. So if you can't find a well, I did, yeah. Like I have, I have a, a proposal, but like I don't, yeah. I mean. Go on. The only thing I could come up with is Meghan Markle. <laughs> and okay. I'm doing this preemptively yeah. as a like as support for what she's going through, what she has gone through, and all the racism and the unjust racist treatment that she's received from from the press, the British press. Mm-hmm. And and now there's this whole thing, like she's about to do an interview with with Oprah. I mean she's done it, but it hasn't come out yet. Um, and then just at the time that she announced that, then the, the Buckingham Palace comes out with, I mean, it's not directly the palace, but there's this letter. Have you, have you heard yeah, of the, but, the, the but open letter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bullying her. So they magically got sent an email with someone that works for PR for, for Buckingham Palace. Yeah, complaining that two people that used to be personal assistants were complaining that she was bullying her. This, she, these people were fired about two years ago now, if not more, and the email has been sitting there for a year. And you're trying to tell me that this woman is not being gaslit or used as a target for uh, media. I just have to say, if you hate Meghan Markle so much, the British public, you need to keep that same energy when you're talking about Prince Andrew, yeah? Because the amount of press, uh-huh. yeah, the amount of press, that has been given to Meghan Markle, that hasn't been given to Prince Andrew and his alleged sexual child abuse, yeah, allegations. Let, let's be real, yeah? yeah? Exactly, and like, yeah, that's such a, yeah, that's so obvious. And also, yeah, like the, the thing was that the com- comparing how the treatment that Meghan Markle received and the treatment that Kate Middleton received Mm-hmm. And 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 because it's it's so obvious because they talk about the same things like there was this thing about avocado and this thing about like the, the the children and the flowers or whatever during their weddings and like exactly they talk about exactly the same thing but they have to put a negative spin on it when it's about Meghan Markle and it's like fawning when it when it comes to to Kate uh, but yeah the the case with with Prince Andrew is even more more staggering because yeah, talking about it, it seems to be that the palace PR people have a princess playbook and they have certain topics <laughs> you should talk about uh, that are deemed acceptable in the media and if you see how 
when Kate speaks about these things and then when Megan speaks about this thing, the result impressed backlash that Megan gets in from the same topic that Kate is speaking about, it is a very clear understanding of how racism works in Britain today. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, you can always hide behind plausible deniability. You can always say, no, but like, it's the way she speaks, it's this, it's that. You can always explain away racism. And, and the case with, with, with that letter is that we, at the end of the day, we don't know. Maybe she is mean to her staff. And to, I wasn't there, I don't know. But we can't not notice that it fits into a certain narrative that strangely is common seems to be common with every black woman like you know you, you had like the, the same thing there was this story with naomi campbell and like you know how she and and so again i don't maybe they are they did do the things that they're accused of doing but then it's it can't be a coincidence that it seemed to only apply to black women and there's always the same trope the angry black woman and you the minute they have a little bit of power notoriety it's there's always something they're bullies they're they're aggressive they're, and it's like hmm, interesting it's also the fact that when you talk about Meghan Markle specifically the lack of responsibility given to Harry as an individual to make his own choices as oh, a married to a person who decides that from his own point of view and this is he actually said it recently in an interview that he wanted to defend his family it was his choice yeah and yet that seemed to be swept underneath the carpet the fact that they won their court case about the fact that their, their, her father's letters should not have been published because they were private and it was a breach of her privacy swept underneath the carpet the fact that uh, danny baker a BBC journalist, when her child was born, called her child a monkey, yeah? We and actually have that in our training with Dom. We have that as an illustration of plausible deniability, this very, this very case, yeah. And every black person that had eyes and ears spent two weeks of their life watching how the British press, yeah, slowly, first of all, some of them called it racist, others said it wasn't racist. Then slowly and slowly, slowly whitewashed what was happening to the fact that, no, it, this was just a mistake by one man and it wasn't racist. He's had years and years of being a journalist, but it actually wasn't racist. If you've had years and years of being a journalist, how come you didn't know Meghan Markle was black? It's very simple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's... And it's like, you can always nitpick and be like every single instance of what, what is accused of being racism, you can always explain it away, explain racism away. But then if you do that with every single instance, you end up with a situation where you're like, so where's the racism then? Do we live in a non-racist society? And it's like, Okay, like most of the people who will engage in that plausible deniability thing, they will agree with you that, you know, there is racism in society. But whenever you point at specific cases, it's always, ah, no, it's not racism, it's something else. Ah, oh, no, I know that person, they mean well. Ah, oh, no, it can't be that, it can't be that. And then you go through all of the examples and you're like, okay, so give me something then. Like if everything that I've told you is not racism, but you seem to agree that racism is a thing, then what are we left with? Because the right. example they will give you is another country's racism, not theirs. So British people will always say that America is racist, but when you oh, yeah. 
the same thing happening in England. And they're like, no, 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 no. It's just that we just don't like her. Well, no, you don't like her because she's black. Yeah, you don't like her because yeah. she's black and opinionated. And these these so-called PAs that she was bullying, did she choose these PAs? Were they her choice, or were these people that worked for the the government or the British palace and were the PAs that were given to her so that she could have a very specific narrative and when she decided that she wasn't having a narrative and then they argued with her was it now that she's bullying them or they were just not doing what she would they were told because yeah. they her PAs yeah what I read I read an article just before coming on for this interview and um so apparently they were sharing the same staff as as the um is it the, the Cambridge? Yeah, the the, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. Yeah, the uh, so so Kate and 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 Will Will and Kate. So yeah, so they they were sharing the same staff initially, and obviously that well yeah, so she didn't have a say in who was her staff. Well, that's and just they were interesting because you need people that will if it's your personal staff, then they have your personal secrets, and if you know that at the end of the day you as an entity are not really welcome because they've shown it over time that they're using information to uh, like, sort of gaslight the British press so they're not looking into other members of their family and what they're doing. That's the so-called affair that William has so-called allegedly and the allegedly child, child sex allegations against Edwards. Then, you know, why would you have the staff that are linked to someone else in that member of the household? It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, yeah. And then the other thing is that Prince Philip is 99 years old, yeah, and he was old and he was sick when they made the, the announcement that they were doing the CBS, and everybody else in the monarchy has managed to work since then. So why is it that Meghan is being shouted at as the worst human being in the world for simply because the interview that she already recorded is being released on a specific date when everybody knew it was being released on a specific date, whether he was in hospital, alive or dead or not. Yeah, that's just scheduling, and there's nothing she can do about it because she doesn't have the ability to pause that because it's probably not in the contract at the time. No matter what she does, she's always going to be portrayed as the one pulling the strings and trying to trick people. And it's the same with what you said with, with, with Harry. Like, you know, she's always portrayed as the one who was the bad influence, who tricked him into leaving the country, who's responsible for it's always her fault and people don't seem to have any agency around her it's it's that's her tricky agenda yeah, she's the, oh, yeah. this uh, obial woman that carries caught harry underneath his spell they like to rewrite history because he like harry was viewed as the mediocre white boy that probably wasn't even the prince's the prince's child's son a couple of years ago before he met okay. Meghan. And yeah, because he's ginger, so he was meant to be a child of a affair with someone else. That Diana. Because he's actually cute, so that didn't that didn't fit with. <laughs> now yeah. it's like, oh yeah, no, oh she's taking away the, the, the queen's favorite grandchild. I'm just like, this needs to just stop. It really does. Uh, yeah. We went off on the tangent there, folks. So I got triggered. <laughs> <laughs> I warned you that was going to happen. <laughs> Well, that's my that's my righteous of the week. Even though, like you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm also cognizant of the fact that at the end of the day, it's it's a clash of privilege because yeah, Meghan Markle is somewhat a woman of color, but she's also extremely privileged, and she's doing an interview with Oprah, which is also another 
example of privilege. So I don't like whilst there is there are definitely racist dynamics that we can talk about. There's it's also worth mentioning the fact that at the end of the day, we're talking about people who are going to be just fine, no matter what happens to them. Um, but yeah. So, so media recommendations. So this is section where you can anything that you watched, anything that you see on YouTube, and obviously you've said already that you don't watch broadcast TV. So if you want yeah. Netflix or anything like that, cool. But anything you watched that made you laugh, that brought you joy, that was insightful, that inspired you a little, what? Okay, so confession. I skipped that question. Uh, just when you said it, I was like, oh shit, I forgot <laughs> to think about something. So that's going to be off the cuff now. Um, well, I have nothing recent because I like, yeah, if I had to start thinking about a YouTube channel that I would recommend or something, it would I'd be here forever because like I literally spent hours and hours watching YouTube anyway. So like I could pick anything. Um, the first thing that comes to mind would be, but I'm sure you've had people already mentioning it because it's not like that new now. It's uh, I Will Destroy You just because I had a conversation about it yesterday and yeah. about Michaela Cole. And, and again, that fits into this whole theme of, of racism that we've talked about because, and I was not even aware of that, but uh, I heard that th there was this controversy that she wasn't nominated for any awards, anything, which is like, it, it's, it's a scandal because like this woman is a genius and, and that, the, the, that series was absolutely brilliant. And it covered absolutely everything you can possibly imagine in our everyday life as, you know, people of color, gay men, people living in the UK, like she, she managed to fit everything. Like it's impossible to describe what it is about because it's about everything. Every issue that we face as a society, she covers it in such a nuanced, interesting, entertaining, funny, difficult way uh she's brilliant so yeah apologies if that's already been said on your part no, 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 no. that you can never apologize for say, on, <laughs> on that because that is my that has been my favorite show for since i watched it and i watched it three times now and it's actually been you are the fourth person on this so podcast to nominate it and each person nominates it for a different reason and we've had oh, yeah men, we've had the straight black girls nominate it and, it, and we've had dominic nominate i think dominic nominate it as well but it's it's important for for me for the, the fact that it brings up a lot of questions about consent in relationships and what consent actually looks like and the fact that consent is not a one-time question just before you put your cock in someone or one time question before you do a sexual act, that consent is continuous, the relationship you have, and that you need to be asking consent in and around people's space and their bodies and their lifestyles continuously. You can't just be in someone's space and accept that you have the right to be there continuously. Yeah. But also the reason why Michaela Cole's come up as something to debate was because the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is the people that run the Golden Globes. So they're not specifically American, even though it's an American award. Yeah. So they're, and they're all, all white. There's not a single black person on the board at the moment, right? Yeah. 
87 members of a foreign press, foreign press association. Yeah. So there is world's wide scope for you to have some black people because it's the foreign press association. 87 members white. Yeah? 87 members. It's ridiculous. Yeah. They even had an Asian woman, yeah, in full traditional sari who was white, trying to uh. take the, the people and talk about the fact that she's, there's no people of diversity being nominated for the Golden Globes. And yes, we did have, Golden Globes have happened. We do have winners that were of diverse nature. We had John Boyega win for Small Acts. We had uh, Daniel, I can't remember his name. But they had the guy win for the Black Panther movie, which is coming out, already out in America, but coming out here soon. And we had the first female director win as well this year. But that's not good mm. enough. If you, if the reason why I made this story you came out of it is because it's such a interesting seminal piece of work that the fact that it was missed out of the Golden Globes was so true. It was so noticeable that every critic whether they were white black whatever was like what how come this wasn't adding in because there's no way you can be talking about the best things that have been put out in the last year and not include this piece of work because it's that good yeah so if you haven't seen it go and see it because it's actually a bbc hbo series and the other reason why i like this show is because once you watch the show, go back and watch the interviews with Michaela Cole talking about the reason why this show was made with the BBC and HBO and not with Netflix yeah. or the producer because it's also about a black woman being empowered enough in her creative control and understanding how to empower, not just in the writing of it, but how it's produced, how it looks, how it feels. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a beautiful example. Thank you very much. Yeah, and also, now that you mentioned the Golden Globes, there's also, it links back to, to Sia's movie, because that movie was nominated. And I've not seen it, and I'm not planning on seeing it, but there was this fear. I was like, oh, shit, are neurotypical people and white people, are they actually going to like it? Like, is it, if, if it's a good movie, because it could be a good movie, uh, giving a very bad message, right? But it could have been a good movie and that would have been terrible and very dangerous. But it turns out it's a shit movie. It's a terrible movie. It's being completely bombed. And like, like all the critics are unanimously saying it's bad. It's a bad movie. All the people who've seen it, the public and the critics, they all agree it's a terrible movie. So in a sense, it's a sigh of relief for, for like the, the autistic community because it just confirms that what we've been saying, you know, we're not being gaslit into like, oh no, you know, everybody agrees it's a terrible movie. But at the same time, it's like, how the fuck did that end up on the nomin nominated list of, of the Golden Globes? That there's no talent. It's not a good movie. It's not even like it's good, but it's, it's controversial. No, it's bad. So, like, what does it say of white privilege and, you know, like, the, there's this whole Oscar bait thing. And it was clearly an Oscar bait, Golden Globes bait movie that was made with that intention. And it sort of works. She didn't get, she didn't win any awards, but it was really close. And she was still nominated whilst uh, I May Destroy You was not. Yeah, and the thing about why we... 
it's important long term for awards such as this to recognize work like Makeda Coles is because she's a single individual that made a piece of work that wrote it, that produced it, that directed it, yeah? When that doesn't have accolades attached to it, there is no commercial um, amount put to her work. So now they look at the work, and yeah, it's got critically acclaimed, so yeah, people watched it, but when you, something like this, because it's a TV series, you also want there to be accolades attached to it, because that will open the gates for other people and the same thing, to be given the space to make their own. And when you deny someone that of that ilk, that ability, you're also denying all the people that will come after her because they won't get access to the room in the same way she's had access because she had a lineage where she had chewing gum and that's been picked up by Netflix. And it's the fact that Netflix wanted it, but not in a way that she was willing to give it and took it to someone else that the work was being made. Other people won't have that opportunity because they don't have a history or a backstory. That's why it's important. So it's not just about the, the race of it, it's about who follows you as an individual. You can be a token, mm -hmm. but yeah, the, the quality, are you gonna be a token that lasts? Yeah, we've had this conversation on this podcast before. Are you gonna be a token? As you know, you're gonna be the only black person there, but are you gonna be so good that you're undeniable and you last and that you also bridge the gap in the terms of that you make space for other people because your abilities are so good. So yeah. Right. Yeah, it's the question of like, if you're a person of color, you have to be excellent. You can't just be mediocre like, like a lot of successful white people are we don't get away with it we have to be excellent and even when we are that's yeah, not enough sometimes example, my example of that is this not being nominated but emily in paris being nominated <laughs> for a golden globe the most white mediocre problem that you ever saw with the one black person that the black gay french man that says two lines in a whole movie i made a joke to my mates that he's Jennifer Hudson in the Sex in the City movie, where she's the token black person, probably has more lines in that film. White boy, this black boy has in the whole of this series and it's 10 episodes. What the hell? Like, because it's made by the same people. It's made by Darren yeah. Stuff. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, I can see how your specific view doesn't include black people, but your specific view not including black people is damaging. And it, but it's also commercial, so it keeps on happening over and over and over again. Okay. Yeah. So, right. We're, we're going to wrap this up in about 10 minutes, yeah? Okay, yeah. Okay, so this is the So I Have a Question section, yeah? So this is where I get someone like you on the podcast, and we ask you a question about social media, about topics that is not really specifically in my wheelhouse and I would just want you to explain stuff a little bit further yeah but before we go into that yeah can you tell the people about your platform and what you do in social media all right well I um so there's as as a consumer my, my platform is YouTube so that's what that's why I get most of my knowledge and information and you know awareness from as as a content creator I, I do have a youtube channel um actually i wanted to plug something earlier because you talked about you know how the the british public is really keen to point their fingers at, at the racism in america but they failed to see it in themselves so uh, i have a whole 
video on YouTube about that. It's um, um, UK racism versus US racism and why it is so much easier for us in the UK to talk about US racism, but somehow we don't, we don't see it. And when we see it, we don't know how to talk about it in this country. So that's on my YouTube channel. Uh, go check it out. It's a nerd without a cause. Um, I'm sure you'll put the, the links and stuff. Um, and, but that's, so that's for YouTube. Then my platform on social media, it was Instagram for a very long time because that's where I had the most of my followers, but that's back when most of my content was centered around me as a model. So basically it was, a, and it still is a thirst trap platform, but um, I'm ashamed. I've, I've, We're unashamed. Yeah. You want to come and, and see and, me? Yeah. I love them kind of things but like if you're unashamed about it if you don't take it too seriously if you understand what it is like sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm just like I'm, I'm gonna take my top off and look into this, the sky and see if there's a photo 16 times until I get the yeah one. but yeah no I like <clears throat> I am unashamed of it but I found it very restrictive because as you've noticed I love to talk and I have quite a few things to say about about you know what happens in society in general and I love to give my opinion and my, my view and that didn't work on Instagram because like you know even if I would put a first trap and an interesting caption like talking about something more serious like I have been losing followers on Instagram for years now because also because of the whole the way they change the, the organic reach and they change the algorithm. So basically I was put in a niche that didn't fit the content that I wanted to put out. And that was through no, no fault of my own. Like I didn't choose that, but because yeah, I am a person of color, I am a model. And so I was put in that thing that I wouldn't, I didn't have the right audience. I couldn't connect to the people and I couldn't reach to the audience that I wanted to reach. So it was, it, it was as, as a content creator, it, I went through like two, three shit years, really. Um, of course, there are bigger problems in the world. I'm fully aware of that. But as, since we're talking about social media. And then I finally found liberation on TikTok because suddenly I could open my mouth, I could speak, and I could, and, and the way the algorithm was made it actually helped me reach new people than the kind of people that I specifically wanted to talk to. Um, so it's quite funny because if you compare my audiences on Instagram, it's 80% men and 20% women. And then on TikTok, it's 80% women and 20% men. So it's the exact opposite. And, and yeah, most of the people on Instagram, they, they gay men who are here for the first traps. Okay. And, 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 and on, on TikTok, it's like, Somehow I'm really big with lesbian moms and, and you know, like, and, 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 and trans people and, and neurodivergent people, of course. And, and it's, I, it, it, I'm so much happier, like, in, engaging with, with that audience and finally being out of the, you know, the being judged for my, for my physique. And even though I know, I'm fully aware that I'm extremely privileged of, of looking the way I look and having the body that I have and the face that I have, although I am a black person, so that still puts me at the margin, but I, within that margin, I am still privileged. But it was such a relief to finally connect with a different audience who was following me for another reason. Uh, but then like this whole thing with TikTok, TikTok 
is has a big problem with its algorithm and with the way it treats uh, minorities and people of color. Um, there's a debate whether it's intentional or whether it's just uh, the result of you know the the algorithm not taking into consideration the the situation of of, of minorities. Um, but yeah, I'm actually going to have a conversation with some people on TikTok. They've reached out to me and they want to discuss that. So I, I don't know how much I can say about it yet, and I don't want to like put anyone in a tricky situation, but they have reached out to me because I have been quite loud about some issues. We'll see what comes out of it. I don't think that just having a conversation with me is going to change the way TikTok works, but, but it, it's, yeah, we'll see what comes out of it. In the right direction of the fact that they're acknowledging that you have a complaint because it's justified. And even though you might not be, be the, you may be the loudest voice, but also you're a voice that can explain things in a way that they can understand so they can get the nuances and the ideas and you can't, they can't leave the conversation say that they didn't understand what your message was because you're very clear when you talk. So. Yeah, but it could still be a PR move where they just like, you know, like they get me to calm down and, and then nothing comes out of it. So I'm also cognizant of it. Maybe that's not the case, maybe it is. We shall find out. I can't tell you this time what's going to happen. So how has being online changed your attitudes towards race and what you, what you do you think of the current backlash in council culture? Okay, so I think we've already uh, gone over the 10 minutes that you said uh, we had left. So apologies, yeah. but I did warn you. It's fine. So this is... <laughs> I want you to talk about this because I've had Dominic on before and we talked about yeah. gay culture, we talked about cancel culture, we talked about white privilege when it comes to accepting apologies and responsibilities. Now you are someone that actually creates content in the same space as these people that I've talked about, about having, and so you're, you're, you are seen as an equal when we open our screens to the people that have to apologize for their racist behavior continuously and also are given a the, the benefit of the doubt continuously once they made a mistake so when we talk about council culture you the realist the re realistic point of view is that if anyone's going to be affected about council culture for what they say it's more likely going to be you because you're the black one yeah than it is the other people in your sphere yeah so that's why i wanted mm -hmm. your point of view on how you think council culture is affecting what you do and whether it's a good thing whether it's a bad thing and what people should take away from it when they actually view this stuff on instagram youtube tiktok yeah well my view is that it's fucking complicated um <laughs> And that's, that's what makes it so difficult. And it's funny because actually we have been having a lot, like many, many debates with Dom and like almost clashes, but they're not clashes because we disagree. It's like we have different views and approaches, but I fundamentally believe that we actually agree, but it's just, it's such a complex, complex topic because like cancel culture, is it really a thing? Or is it just mob, like a result of mob mentality that's all, always existed? And um, there's a very interesting uh, video from uh, ContraPoint, actually, whom I've already mentioned earlier, uh, who went through being cancelled. And she got cancelled by her own community, which is the, the trans community. 
and, and she walks us through what happens. And it's very interesting because she doesn't make it about, you know, she, she was the victim and, and the people who attacked her were really mean. She also points out that the people who attacked her are people with, with um, legitimate concerns and who are hurt and who are already marginalized. So that's the thing with, with cancel culture. It's like, it's a group versus a person but the person has an effect on the group. So it's like, if the whole group starts calling out and then, and then attacking the person, even if the person actually did something bad, no single person is, is, is built to be able to withstand this kind of pressure. Okay. And it's also very difficult to weed out, like to sort out what is, valid criticism and what is abuse online you know what i mean so it's it is difficult and there have been many cases where it led to you know uh, dom actually talks about uh, psychological torture and and it can take that form and and that is true but my point is you will always have haters online the minute you have a platform the minute you're public there will always be people who hate you for your success. So the minute you do something wrong, or even if you don't do anything wrong, they will rejoice and they will love to see you fall down. So, but is that cancel culture? Or is this not just something that comes with notoriety anyway, and that's always existed? So that's, that, that's my question about it, because when people talk about cancel culture, there's this notion that this is a new thing, and it's usually an attack against wokeness. And there's this notion that, you know, now you can't talk about anything, you can't say anything, and, and you're always gonna be canceled without like just by breathing. And I don't agree with that. I don't think that's the case. And I do think that most of the time, what is called cancel culture is simply people being held accountable who would not have been held accountable before the age of social media. But at the same time, there are abusers, there are people who abuse it. But the question is, is that abuse really a, a cancel culture thing? Or is it not just hate that would have existed anyway? That was my really long-winded answer. <laughs> right. So, for example, the most common or well-known example at the current time of council culture in action, so to speak, or call... So, for me, there's calling out culture when you're calling out a specific thing that someone has done and highlighting the reason why that is specifically wrong, yeah? And then there's council culture when you're saying we're, we're a group of people saying this person is counseled for the wrongdoing that they have done, yeah, right? So, gays over COVID, yeah, right? I've always looked at it as calling out the wrong behavior of a specific group of gay guys is perfectly fine to me, yeah? Mm -hmm. but, but the person that got cancelled when they called out this behavior was not all the white guys specifically. It was the one black nurse that was in the photo, yeah? So yeah. even though we're having a discussion as a gay community, but the discussion then remove, is removed from the black people in the gay community and it's solely about two privileged groups yeah, arguing amongst themselves and the yeah. folks 
with this has been the black gay guy, yeah? So what do you think of gays over COVID? What do you think of how they operate? What do you think of calling out or cancel culture? Because I know in your videos, you highlight when people are specifically stepping into spaces that they shouldn't be stepping into. And, I, and you use it as a teachable mo moment. And that's very different than saying loads of trolls online are get, making comments on one picture. Yeah, so my thing is always to look at the structural issues. So it's one thing to call out someone on their behavior, but if you focus more on the person and their character, then the actual structure of injustice that you claim to be calling out, then, then there is a problem. And as you just highlighted, it also just so happens that it's usually someone who's going to be marginalized, who is, is the, 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 the target. So in that case, then that's a clear, like, yes, it's, it's, it's worth mentioning that some people are acting badly and stuff. But if out of all the people that supposedly you're calling out, it's just the black person, then yeah, you, you are pro being problematic too. And that highlights the, the, the fact that you can, you can still be racist within a marginalized community. Of course, like, I'm not gonna, t you, this is no news for you, but this is a good example of the fact that you're of a marginalized identity does not exempt you of, of perpetrating some toxic, racist, homophobic, transphobic narratives. And so wh when you, when you, go for someone where you come for someone and like you, you target them it's yeah maybe you're calling out something that you should be calling out but are you sure that as you're doing that you're not participating in an other form of 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 oppression uh unknowingly and 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 this is a good example of it so because i the other example i was also talking to Dominic, sorry, for those of you that haven't heard, we had Dominic Jackson Cole on here, or Dr. Dom, I like to call him Dr. Dom because it sounds like a Marvel character, yeah, was on here before, and he was talking, I asked him specifically two questions, and now because you serve in this space, as well as the people that we were talking about generally, I wanted to get your insight on the questions as well. So the other question that I asked Dom was, uh, do all white people have a racist face and should we accept them their apologies online for their previous misdemeanors when th their examples of their tweets and all their writings or their social media presence at this time of that phase come to light and is it a phase now Don's answer was it wasn't a phase yeah oh <laughs> yeah so this is another a situation where he's the bad cop and I'm the good cop, <laughs> I guess. Um, so the question are all do are all white do all white people go through a racist phase? My answer is all people go through a racist phase. And the reason why I say that is because I went through a racist phase. I have and I still probably do, like I do still have internalized racism that I need to work on every day. Uh, for a very long time, I would have openly said that I'm not into into black guys, and and that has changed now. 
uh, but it came out of, I had to work on it. And it's not something, and you know, that's why like all the preference gays and the people who are like, oh yeah, it's just the preference. Yeah, but you can work on it and, and it works. I am the living example that it can work. You can actually have, if, if you educate yourself, if you open your mind, you can actually change your, your, your taste and your preferences. And, the, and so every day that you say, oh, it's just a preference, you are choosing to do nothing about it. So that's participating in racism. But now the example of what, why I say that we can all, we all go through a racist phase is, my example is I grew up in the Caribbean, in the French Caribbean, which is a black majority place. And, but I am mixed race. So my mom is white, my dad is black, even though he's not part of the picture, but that's another conversation. Um, but so I always had both perspective and I was brought up in a very non-racist environment. Uh, and yet, just by existing in this society, my exposure to media, to, to racist tropes, led me to believe as a child growing up in Guadeloupe, I would associate you know, knowledge, science, and reason with whiteness because what would I see on the telly is, is you know, it's scientific programs and documentaries and stuff, they only involved white people. Mm -hmm. So even without having, even without being exposed to outward racism, I integrated that, you know, I associate white with, with knowledge and with, with like civilization and, and technical advancement. Um, and the, the black people that I would see around me had nothing to do with what I would see on the telly. So like there was this association, I would see black people as irrational, very religious, very superstitious. And then I would automatically assume that white people were knowledgeable and, and scientific and stuff. And then I moved to mainland France, which is a white majority place. And then suddenly, suddenly first of all, I changed race because in Guadeloupe, I was the I was light skinned, so I was the lightest of the blacks, and then in France, I was the darkest of the whites. So suddenly, I went from being privileged for the color of my skin to be to being marginalized for the color of my skin. So first, that was the first like shock, and the second shock is like seeing that what the, the, the people that I associated with with like you know being intelligent and knowledge and stuff actually living in their society, I realized, no, that's not the case at all. Like they're not particularly more scientific, more reasonable, more anything that the, the, the black people that I knew. And that as a child was like a mind fuck. And I think that I, now I can use that to realize how, you know, like your identity doesn't exempt you from racism. You, we are all exposed to the same tropes, to the same narratives, and we all have to do the work to get out of it, to, to remove it. So of course, if you're a black person, you are much more likely to realize that pretty, pretty early in your life. So you are more likely to not be racist against black people. That's true, but that doesn't mean you, you're not, you can't be racist. So the question are, do white people, are, do they all go through that phase? That I think the focus really needs to be on the society in general and how society influenced the individual. And we all live in the same society, whether we're black or white or of another ethnicity. So this is what we need to focus on to make sure that we do not let those, those implicit biases 
affect us or that we weed them out? Well, so because you make a good case then for the need for inclusion and representation in media because yeah yeah because what you're saying basically is that we need to see other possibilities for us as human beings to understand that not everything that we're told specifically is one dimensional and there's a range of possibilities that we can be as individuals and that's not only just as white white people seeing other white people as educated but also black people seeing other black people as as educated as commercial as funny as diverse as fat small whatever it may be yeah yeah but representation is not the be all and end all of of the the, the fight against racism representation mm-hmm. in itself is not enough and because yeah, if you have representation, that's, that's great, but you haven't addressed the systemic structure because racism exists for a reason. It serves a purpose in the society. It serves a purpose to maintain certain people at the top and certain people at the bottom. And you can have all the representation that you want. If you aren't challenging those structures of oppression and inequality, then all the implicit biases will still remain and racism will still exist and we see it now even in 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 situations where you do reach representation which is great and it is a progress and it deserves to be like you know acknowledged and but you haven't solved racism once you've done that because if the structures are still the same representation is not enough so that's something that i, I always stress out in either my trainings or in my videos and stuff it's like we tend to focus a lot of, on representation because it's shiny, it's beautiful, and it's easy to make it look like you fixed it. But you haven't done it all yet. And a prime example for this, which is a nice way to end it, is a prime <laughs> example of this is Meghan Markle. Because when she was marrying Harry, everybody was using it as this is representative of a new future for the British monarchy and the fact that they were inclusion the inclusion of a mixed race or biracial person or black person depending on where you were reading it was a step forward and it symbolized the change in race relations in Britain and that how Britain was such an unracist country and we already discussed earlier <laughs> he's clapping <laughs> we already discussed earlier what that actual the event or outcome of that was because even though we had representation it isn't enough Thank you for today. I really enjoyed that. All right. Thank you very much, Seb. Um, it was a pleasure. It's been, I realised that it was, because I was looking at your YouTube channel, and I realised that it's nearly a year since we first met and I asked you to come on the programme. Yeah. <laughs> rubbish that's happened. Yeah. So before you leave, can you tell the people um, where to find you on your, your TikTok or Instagram or Twitter handles? Okay, so I am not on Twitter. I mean to, I, I, I can't explain why I'm not on Twitter, but it, it's, it's never really grown on me. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't get Twitter. Um, hopefully I will one day, but I'm not on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram if you come for the first traps. 
uh, or I repost some of my TikTok content on Instagram, so you can do that as well. But my main platform and where I would like most people to follow me is TikTok, even though I don't know if I'll be there for a very long time. I might have my account removed as it's happened to many other anti-racist creators in the past few weeks. So fingers crossed. But uh, yeah, so if I'm still there, find me on TikTok. Uh, I am Joris underscore explains on TikTok. And uh, I think it's quite self-explanatory uh, why it's like that. But so Joris explains on TikTok. I am a nerd without a cause on YouTube. I try to push me to make more content on YouTube. I've been meaning to, I haven't done it since the summer, but like, yeah, I, I need a bit of a kick in the ass. So find me on YouTube and yeah, we've gone through. Yeah, Facebook is not relevant. I mean, <laughs> really not relevant. Facebook is what aunties use for the COVID denial theories. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. um, if you do go to the YouTube channel, um, look at Joyce's uh, um, video on Kanye West. Uh, oh, that one, yeah. One of my favourite explanations of why Kanye West and me don't rap. I burnt my shoes, you know. Like, I, I had my Yeezys and I loved them, but I was just like, in order for me not to wear these shoes ever again, I need to burn them. So I burnt my shoes. But, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, Sam. So that's it for today's episode. Thank you very much for joining me and Joris, the Nerd Without a Cause. If you have anything to offer to the podcast as that you want to make a comment you want to make a suggestion when this yes what type of guest i should have on next please slide into my dms my dms are open on the front room podcast on instagram or you can email me at the front room podcast at gmail.com thank you very much once again my name is sebastian edwards this has been the front room podcast and i will see you you'll hear me same time next week <laughs>